millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode, A Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. This time we might be less historic than usual. Okay. Because this is the episode of the semi-legendary life of Saudatha Gautama. Ah. Also known as the Awakened One or the Buddha. I'm definitely looking forward to this episode, being that you're driving the ship, and I'm, but I have been re- trying to study up a little more on the Buddha the last couple of weeks here. Yes, and this one is hard to get wrong because it's semi-legendary and there's, there are a lot of legends about Buddha. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can just make anything up pretty much. Right. But we're sticking to sort of the common version and anything can happen. Okay. Last time we uh, talked about the Buddha's lives before birth, but now we will give him birth. Okay. So he has a dad and a mom. Maybe, but probably had. <laughs> and they are Sudodana and Maya Devi. So let's call mom Maya. That's easier. Yes. And according to Buddhist tradition, uh, the Buddha was born in Lumbini, which is now in modern day Nepal. Mm-hmm. And this place we know is the Buddha's birthplace because Ashoka told us so in the 3rd century BC. Okay. He put up an inscription saying this is where the Buddha, sage of the Sakyas, was born. And uh, there was no arguing with Ashoka. Right. So maybe he was. Yeah, maybe he was. According to legend, he was raised in Kapilavastu. And nobody knows where that was. Oh. So we think it was a place, but it's gone. All right, maybe it's a suburb of Lumbini. No, it was another place. Oh. 
Okej, okay. according to the Mahavastu and the Lalita Vistara, to uh, much later chronicles of the Buddha's life, uh, Maya, his mother, was a princess from Devdaha, the ancient capital of the Kuliya kingdom. This is also in Nepal. Okay. And Kuliya is one of the Mahayanapadas. Okay. So one of the 16 kingdoms. Oh, oh, gotcha. Okay. And maybe it wasn't that that was the cause of Buddha's birth. Because on the night Siddhartha Gautama was conceived, Maya dreamt that a white elephant with six tusks entered her right side. Hmm. Virgin birth, huh? Uh, yeah, with six tusks. I don't think it's very virgin. Oh. <laughs> she was also pregnant for 10 months. Oh, you really cooked them up good in there. So maybe dad was there one month later after the elephant. Oh. So she's pregnant with the Buddha. She doesn't know it. Okay. But the Shakya tradition was that when she became pregnant, she had to go back to her father's kingdom to give birth. So it's even uh, easier for the dad. And he, he doesn't have to sit around outside with a cig- cigar. <laughs> but she'll just go away while she's pregnant and come back with the baby. Perfect. So dad is in Kapilavastu. And mom goes back to Lumbini to give birth. But she doesn't make it to Lumbini. She almost makes it to Lumbini. So she's out sort of in the suburbs or somewhat outside Lumbini. And in a garden beneath a tree, she gives birth to the Buddha. Oh. And possibly then dad, Sudhubadana, was uh, a Shakya chieftain or king. Uh, most often he's the elected chief of the Shakya clan, but in other legends he's a uh, an emperor. Yeah, yeah, I've heard he was like a king or an emperor. Yes, he's like king, emperor, anything you want him to be. Yeah, but he wasn't just an average peasant. We know that. For, that's not part of the story. No, he's, he's uh, of somewhat high class, at least. Okay. The early Buddhist texts contain very little information about his youth and his birth. But later biographies add a lot of things to this. So now suddenly his father, Sudhudana, becomes the hereditary monarch of the Solar Dynasty. Oh, his father does. Yes. Okay. But we'll stick with him being a Shakya elected chief. Okay. And the Shakyas in this area, hot seat for the Shramanas and all the thinking traditions, as I mentioned in the last episode. Gotcha. But there is this clever hermit, Asita. High in the mountains, he's doing these uh, ascetic things, uh, probably not wearing clothes, freezing himself to death, not eating, but he's very, <laughs> very wise. Mm-hmm. And he realizes, oh, something super important happened. I have to go down to Lumbini to see what it is. Okay. And he finds this newborn child. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I sense in my wisdom that this child is special. So I will now search his body for the 32 marks of a great man. Oh. And apparently Maya lets him do this. 
or maybe women have no rights, so he does it anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he discovers all the 32 marks of a great man. Huh. And then the vice... They're physical marks, obviously. Yeah, it, it, I interpret it that way. Yeah, right. It's not like he could in- interview the baby and ask him, you know, he's 32 qualities that makes him a great man. Can you coo wisely? (laughs) But uh, he says that this child has all the 32 marks. He will either become a great king or a great religious leader. Uh Thank you. I'll be here all week. No, I'll go back to my mountain. And he leaves. (laughs) Uh, So she goes back to Sudhodana and shows him this child. And uh, mentions this weird guy who came down from the mountain. And uh, dad is, of course, excited. And he thinks all those clever Vedic religion Brahmins, they probably can interpret this. So he brings in eight Brahmins, or eight Brahmin scholars, to read the child's future. Okay. And uh, seven of them says... Great things, of course, because Sudhodana is important. He wants to hear great things about his child. But the eighth Brahmin scholar, he's like, Oh, God, this is, this child is going to be the Buddha. Oh, my gosh. Because remember, (laughs) there were previous Buddhas. Oh, there were? Yeah. Sort of like the um, Dalai Lama. Yeah, we talked about them last time, that the Buddha had visited the old Buddhas in his previous lives. All right. So he got, like, questions to ponder for several lifetimes from the old Buddhas. Oh. But uh, the Buddha grows up. He's not a Buddha yet. He's not awakened. He's just the Buddhist Atva. So we'll call him Siddhartha still. Okay. He listens to a lot of religious, uh, religious speech. And he takes it in. But he's not that interested yet. There are other interesting things like fighting and girls. For sure. And he finds, uh, after uh, meeting several women, he finds Yasodara. Okay. Which is a girl to his liking, so he marries her when he grows up. So we don't know much about his early life here. And he has a son, Rahula. Okay. And here is this spoiled life with in this palace of his father. But some legends, like the Lalita Vistara, talks a lot about fighting. And Siddhartha Gautama in this story is a great fighter. Mm. And he is trained in all kinds of fighting. In one version, there is a, a fantastic female warrior who trains him. Oh my gosh, this is a great movie. It, it sounds like a movie. <laughs> but he isn't, he doesn't go to war. No, he's just like a martial art, like a, yeah. tra- like a like a one-on-one combat type of guy. And he fights a lot with uh, the other youths in the Shakya tribe. Okay. And he always wins. Yeah, he's like Bruce Lee, kind of. But uh, some of the sources tell us that he is now... Uh, he's now seeking for wisdom and stuff. And the other versions, he's not. Okay. But the ve- most common version is that his father wants him to be an emperor, a conqueror, a warrior king. Mm-hmm. 
that in order to do this, has to train him and then protect him from seeing how bad the world really is. Mm-hmm. So he likes doesn't let Buddha see old people or sick people or people actually killed in warfare. Okay. Shelter him. Yeah, he shelter him horrendously. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So we really have two versions here. The, the Buddha seeking wisdom or the Buddha just being a spoiled playboy, pretty much. Yeah. But it's almost like not his choice to be a spoiled playboy. He's sort of forced into that life. Yeah. I bet he wasn't that sad about it. No, it's usually not. <laughs> but he has this loving wife and this son that he really likes. But then he sneaks out and sees an old man. And when he does, he has his charioteer with him. And this charioteer goes like, Siddhartha, don't you know that people grow old and die? <laughs> and Siddhartha like, what? That's horrible. Well, if you think that's bad, the charioteer brings him to a deceased man and a dead man. Oh, wow. And Buddha is horrified. But then the charioteer brings him to an ascetic. And these are the four sides of the Buddha. Okay. He saw the old man, the deceased man, the dead man, and the ascetic man. I, I, I wonder, I don't, I, I'm just, we probably don't know, but I mean, if anybody knows, I wonder if these are numbers in, in this, you know, in like Indian thought that it's important, like four and eight, you know, like in, if you were doing like, if this was like Jesus, it would be three, there's three wise men and it was seven nights and 40 days, you know, all those numbers are important. It seems like they have these numbers here too. I am sure there is some significance to that, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I'm just asking questions. So he quickly goes back to the palace and he's like, oh, oh, I'm back in the sheltered palace. That's good. But one night he wakes up and sees his female servants sleeping in unattractive corpse-like poses. 
<laughs> so he's like, oh no, they're dead. But uh, they're not dead. But he's like, they, maybe they're not dead now, but they will be dead. There is so much human suffering. This can't be right. I have to figure this out. I have to leave the palace. Wow. And learn what this is all about. That's talk about a sheltered life up to that point. Yes, and the, the triggering thing is that he sees his female servants in unattractive corpse-like poses. I mean, yeah, that means he's never saw a dead body, dead, nothing dead. Wow. So he brings this charioteer guy and his horse, Kantaka, and sneaks out to the palace. And he leaves his son behind. And in some sources, you also have one more son, Yasodara. Oh. But he's also left behind at this point. So only the charioteer and the horse out into the world to see what this is all about. He also thinks that maybe I shouldn't look like a prince. So he changes into monk's robes. Okay. Probably the classical shramana dress. Yeah, yeah. But in other version of this story, a god shows up. Already? (laughs) Yes. A Vedic (laughs) god shows up and says, here are your monk robes. You will need them to seek for wisdom. Hmm. I don't think that's what really happened. Just saying. <laughs> uh, Occam's Razor tells us that he probably just brought some monk's robes. Yeah. I'm sure he didn't beat up a monk to steal his robes. That wouldn't be very nice. No, he probably didn't. No, he's not like that. So he goes to Rayagaha, which is Raigir today. Okay. And he has seen the skeptics beg. So he starts begging. And when he sits there begging, King Bimbisar of Magadha shows up. Oh. Remember him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Magadha too. Yeah, and for some reason, I want more details on this, but he sort of figures out what Siddhartha is up to. It's not clear if he knew him or not. Hmm. But he's like, this is so great. You left everything behind just to search for wisdom. Why don't you have a share of my kingdom? Wow, that was very nice of him. Yeah, but Siddhartha is like, no, no. I have to learn things first, but then I will come and visit your kingdom. And Bimbisara goes, okay, see you later. It almost reminds me of of Jesus being tempted in the desert by the devil. Bimbisara seems much nicer than the devil. Yeah, he's much nicer, yeah. It's sort of, this, you know, but that's that function. That serves that function to the story. But this makes sense, right? He doesn't want to go to another palace. Right. Because uh, he has to find enlightenment. And where do you find enlightenment? You go to the remote jungle. Of course. And he is scared of the jungle. I don't blame him. No, it's full of tigers and... I know. All kind of things. Probably bugs the size of your hand. But he's like, this fear of the jungle might teach me something. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently, at some point, he finds two yoga teachers. Perfect. Uh, Maybe they were hanging out in the jungle as well. Well, It was hot yoga there, too. It was a hot... (laughs) A remote hot yoga shrine, (laughs) probably. And uh, he learns... A meditation technique okay. called the sphere of nothingness. And this is taught to him by Arada Kalama, okay. the yogic teacher. 
and he learns this swear of nothingness thing so good that Arada asks him to become an equal leader of their spiritual community. Oh, wow. But Siddhartha goes, no, no, I have to learn other things. And later he admits that he was unsatisfied by what Arada taught him because this swear of nothingness thing didn't lead to revulsion, dispassion, cessation, calm, knowledge or awakening. So he went on, but he was still looking for another teacher. And then he found Udraka Ramaputra. And uh, this guy was teaching another meditation technique called the swear of neither perception nor non-perception. And Siddhartha trains in this meditation technique and learns it perfectly. And Udraka Ramaputra says, Oh, please join me and lead this movement with me. But Siddhartha goes, No, thank you. I have to find my own way, my own wisdom. Yeah. And he leaves again. And now he has encountered several shramanas and he is very impressed with all the asceticism. It seems clear to him that being ascetic is a good thing. Mm -hmm. So let's control the body. The body has needs. We have to control them. So he trains techniques to breathe as little as possible, to eat as little as possible, and to control his mind completely over his desires. And then, of course, he becomes extremely thin. And he feels horrible. I bet. And he's sitting there, probably sitting or standing in one position for days at an end. <laughs> in the rain, in the heat. Like, it's horrible. Talk about suffering. And suddenly a village girl named Suyata walks by with some milk and rice pudding. Nice of her. And she says, oh God, you look horrible. Have some of this. And he's like, whoa, that's nice. And he eats it. And he feels rejuvenated. I bet. And then he realizes that, wow, starving yourself to death is not a good thing. (laughs) At this point, he had picked up five apprentices who were probably left the other teachers and followed him. But they are horrified by this act. Here Siddhartha is sitting, eating milk and rice pudding. They're like, you are fake. We're leaving. So they leave him. He's like, I'm starving, bud. Go on. (laughs) But he feels great because of the food. He's like, I want some more of that. So his five disciples leave him. Huh, that never happened to Jesus. That's a different twist in the story. And at this point, he, for some reason, recalls a memory from his childhood where he sits under a tree while his father works. And then he realizes that meditation is the path to liberation. So these meditation techniques I learned wasn't the right ones. Maybe they were just part of the right thing. I'm trying hard not to go into Buddhism here. Okay. But here is a realization that extreme asceticism is not the right thing. Meditation is good. But not to that level. 
And now it becomes complicated because I don't understand Buddhism. Yeah, it's a little complicated. It goes, yes. It's like a philosophy or is it a religion? It's a little bit of both. But here he discovers the four noble truths. Four again, huh? Yes. Interesting. Dukkha, Samudaya, Niroda, and Marga. And if I go into explaining those, it will take an enormous time. But he realizes that these four noble truths, the, the, four truth, the fourth truth is the Eightfold Path, which we will come back to later. Okay. And he realizes using these four noble truths, he can finally, if he learns this completely, escape the endless cycle of rebirth. And that is the goal. Right. Are you confused yet? No, I, I mean, I'm not. I get it. I, I'm confused why they don't like rebirth. I like it. I would think coming back would be pretty cool. But I guess if you don't want to come back as like a, to- as a bug or a frog or something. I think he seems to think that all these lives you have are just there to teach you something. When you've learned everything, you are relieved oh, I see. of the endless cycle of rebirth. Yeah, yeah. And he thinks all suffering is li- like, like his first awakening there was like, well, life is suffering, so we want to finish, get, not keep doing it. It's like being stuck in a time loop. Oh, kind of. Yeah. You ever see those movies, right? When they're trying to get out of the time loop. Oh, yes. Uh, so one thing he realizes is that moderation is good. Oh, yeah. So all extremes are less good. And now I can't avoid the Eightfold Path. I'll do it briefly as well. Okay. You have to have the right view, the right intention, the right speech, which involves no lying. Okay. The right conduct, the right livelihood, which includes not trading in weapons, living beings, meat, liquor, and poisons. Oh, wow. You have to do the right effort, have the right mindfulness, and then you have to have the right samadhi, which is all about meditation. Please apologize me for all my slaughter of Indian names and you doing all right. of Buddhism. <laughs> I apologize. I forgive you. I mean, that's another number, that eight. I mean, I look in four. Multiple of four. Yeah, right. And practicing this... After leaving his meditation teachers, realizing everything, he sat down, famously, under a tree. Yes. A pipal tree. This tree doesn't exist, of course, any longer, but there is a tree in Bodh Gaya that is said to stand at the exact same point. Yeah. The same location. Maybe it was a baby, that other tree, too, right? Or something? Like, you know, it could have... I thought I read that somewhere. You know, like it planted another tree. So he decides to sit down under this tree until he has understood. And um, in the Pali canon, he sits for seven days under the tree, feeling the bliss of deliverance. Mm. And then he levels up. (laughs) This is when he becomes the Buddha. Fantastic. But in some versions of this story, he's disrupted by another divine being, Mara, the ruler of the desire realm. Oh. 
who is sending his... Tempted by Jesus. Uh, this is devil. much more I mean. devil-like. Yes, Ma- I meant the devil. Tempted by the devil. Mara sends his super sexy daughters oh. to seduce the Buddha. Uh, that doesn't work. He's just focused on trying to understand. And then Mara sends an army of monsters. That should have worked, I think. Yeah. This guy is just sitting under a tree and an army of monsters appear. Yeah, if they're real monsters, you would think. Yeah, But don't forget he had that karate training when he was younger. But no, he's still sitting there. He doesn't do anything. Oh, just stay there. The army of monsters shows up, but he is like, maybe the earth can help me. So he touches the ground before meditation. He always does this. Okay. And then he's in connection with the earth goddess. And the earth goddess just wipes out the monster army. Boom. And by leveling up this time, we know now the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. But now we know the Dharma. The Dharma. Dharma. What is that? That would take some time to explain. And I don't fully understand it. But uh, the short version would be the Cosmic Law and Order. Okay. But this is also in Vedic religion. Okay. And Dharma can mean a lot of different things. But this is uh, the full knowledge of everything, pretty much. Wow, that was convenient. Yes, so now he's the... I mean, there's a lot of work. He had to leave his family. He had to go starve to death, almost. And he had to meditate with two different people. An unclear amount of years have gone by, but it's pretty fast. He had two sons, or one son. Yeah. And he will teach for 40 or 45 years. And we know he was 80 years old in the legends. Okay. So uh, it sounds like this at most took five or ten years. Yeah, it seems to be worth it. And he stands up and he's now the awakened one. And he realizes that, hmm, now I have a choice. Should I teach what I've learned to others so that they can also get rid of the endless cycle of rebirth? Or should I keep it to myself? Hmm. Because humans are overpowered by ignorance, greed and hatred. And it will be so difficult for them to realize all that I have learned. Because this is is subtle, deep and hard to grasp. Yeah. And you would... And he spent a lot of time doing it. Yeah. So he doesn't want to put others through this. But And you would expect that he makes up his mind and goes out to teach people. But, oh no, a god shows up. Brahma Sahampati. Oh, okay. And... Slaps some sense into him. Oh. He actually argues with Buddha and says that at least some people with little dust in their eyes will understand the Dharma. Ah. And this convinces the Buddha to go forth and teach. And he doesn't have a plan for this, so he just walks around teaching whoever will listen. But a lot of people is liking what he's talking about. Yeah. He seems to spend a lot of time close to the river Ganges. What's the... Yeah, the Ganges. Ganges. Yeah. So he's pretty much in Uttar Pradesh and southern Nepal. Okay. And he's teaching anyone who listen. He's not a Brahmin monk, so he doesn't have to care about the caste system. Right. He is famously teaching uh, some murderers. Oh. He also runs into cannibals. Cannibals. Yeah, and teach them the Dharma, Whew. which will uh, make them quit uh, eating people. Yeah. And it, it, that's like a turn if they have to stop eating meat and people at the same time. And of course, a lot of people get convinced by this. 
very, very wise guy. So they become the Sangha. That's like his followers or like his church, kind of. Uh, it's sort of the assemb- assembly, the community. Okay. And this is often used to include the Buddhists, but it's also used in Jainism. And the Sikhs use this term as well for the community, so Sangha. I see, okay. But we'll get back to the Sangha, so remember that. Okay, the Sanghas. Uh, some Buddhists state that this is the oldest democratic institution because the Sangha makes their decisions fairly democratic. And this is older than, by a few years, than the democracy in Athens. That would be true. So Buddha walks around teaching people and these the Sangha does that as well. Most of them or a lot of them stay close to the Buddha, but they go out on their own and try to teach people about the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, and the Dharma. But um, in four months every year in India, it's the rainy season. So then people stay put. Right. And um, they have to find some place to stay, so suddenly monasteries show up, but they also stay in public parks or forests. Because trees are super important to Buddhists. Okay. And of course, this is growing exponentially. And some people in the Sangha who have listened to other teachers before, they almost storm themselves. But Buddha is very concerned that please don't kill yourself. We need you. Yeah. And then his mother-in-law shows up. Whoa. And he's like, oh no. She's going to tell me to go back to my wife, who I haven't contacted in years. Yeah, you've been gone for a while. Yeah. But that's not what his mother-in-law is there for. Interesting. She is like, I am so impressed by your teaching, but all your followers are men. Huh. Why don't you teach this to women? And the Buddha is like, well, you seem to think that There is a difference between the sexes, Hmm. but that is not true. The way to enlightenment is open to everybody. Well, that's pretty neat. So the mother-in-law goes away, and when she comes back, she she and her friends have shaved their hairs, done the monk robes, and they're like, now we are part of the Sangha. Wow. We are the bhikkhuni order of female monastics and they are still around today wow that's pretty interesting so here's some 6th century bc feminism yeah that's pretty interesting and there is an argument that buddha didn't include women at first because the life of a wandering shramana was dangerous for women because they had to go unprotected in the forest, and they would be assaulted. Yeah. So that's why he didn't do it, according to these sources. But now, the male monks try to protect the female monks. And there are monks of both genders. Are they allowed to mix? Uh, They're probably forced to be ascetic, so I, I don't expect too much romance here. Oh, gotcha. All right. But, moderation? Hmm. Maybe. And now... He is invited back to some royal courts and he teaches our old favorite king, Birim Sampra. 
Whose king is that? Which guy was that? He was the king of Magadha, who tried to offer him his kingdom in the very beginning. Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember. Yeah. He's the one who offered him to be as partner. Okay. Got it. Yes. But he's like, wow, this is interesting. He becomes a very uh, high level Buddhist close to the awakening. Gotcha. And we'll talk about him in the 550s BC when he also becomes very important in Jainism. Oh, wow. The same king. Wow. Back in Shakya land, I don't know if it's still ruled by Buddha's father or not. Yeah. The mother-in-law went to get him and then she stayed. <laughs> yeah, she's gone too, out on the road. That's poor. His wife is like, I lost my mother and my husband. Yes. <laughs> uh, but the Kuliyas, the other kingdom... Close to the Shakyas. Yeah. They are fighting with the Shakyas over who owns the river Rohini, which is the boundary between the two states. Okay. And there is a war. So the Buddha goes back to his home and teaches the armies not to fight, but to seek wisdom instead. And they stop fighting. We have uh, information that uh, Buddha... Also, of course, naturally met members of other shamana sects. Okay. And there is the Samanapala Sutta, which mentions six different important shamana sects that Buddha has contact with. And he tries to teach them as well. But you don't see any one of them becoming the Buddha. No. And this goes on for 40 or 45 years. His teaching is walking around. Everybody listens. All is good. Hinduism hasn't taken over India yet. And then he gets old. And he starts to suffer from back pain. A lot of us know about that. And he needs more rest. He can't travel as much. But he just decides who the wisest disciples are. And they will keep up the mission to teach this wisdom to the people. Yeah, travel around. He still teaches, but he travels less. Yeah, But he has a cousin, Devadatta, who is younger than him and more uh, in much better shape at this point. And during these later years of the Buddha, Devadatta tries to take over. He leaves the Sangha, taking with him a lot of Buddhist monks, and forms a rival sect. Hmm. Devadatta has the backing of Birim Simpra's son, who has murdered the old king. Sheesh. Uh, king Ayatashatru. That doesn't sound good karma. And in the Pali texts, Devadatta is described as plotting to kill the Buddha. But Sheesh. he's not very enlightened at all. He fails. Thank gosh. And then the Buddha sends two of his best disciples to talk to all the monks that left the Sangha and tell them to return, which most of them do. Good. So all the major early Buddhist Vinaya texts depicts this Devadatta as a divisive figure who attempted to split the Buddhist community. But the different texts describe this split differently. Okay. So they have other ways to wisdom, but it's different in all the texts. And uh, Ayashatru not only tries to split Buddhism, but also goes to war with Kosala. And wins this war, which the Buddha is really sad about. Yeah. So he doesn't seem to like Ayatashatru. He doesn't like war either, I don't think. 
No, he doesn't like war. War is not the way to wisdom, of course. No. So how do you think Siddhartha Gautama, the Awakened One, died? Me? I understand. I had heard that he um, went to some friend's house or something and he ate too many mushrooms. That's interesting. That's what I always heard. He died from eating mushrooms. Oh, he does indeed die from eating mushrooms. Oh. But I have another story about the mushrooms. Oh, good. So there are, of course, different versions of his death, but here is what we're going to go with. Okay. These are just regular mushrooms, I would imagine. I mean, then you would really reach some kind of enlightenment. First, before he dies, we are, have to talk about a tale from the Mahaparinibbana Sutta. Woohoo, man, you are good. It's about King Ayatashatru again. He won the last war. And he now wants to make war on the Vajika League, which is okay. some states nearby. But he's impressed by how the Buddha managed to keep the Sangha together. So he sends a minister to ask the Buddha for advice. The Buddha responds that the Vajika League will prosper as long as they do seven things. Seven. Seven? Yeah, we haven't heard that number before. No. After he says this, he realizes these seven things are very good, so maybe the Sangha should be doing them too. Huh. So I'm not sure if the Vajika League actually was doing all these seven things, but he is now convinced that the Sangha should do them. And these are the seven things. And probably a bit of wisdom for everybody. So you should, number one... Hold regular and frequent assemblies. Oh, I disagree with that. That's horrible if you are at, jo- at work. <laughs> and there are meetings all the time. Meeting after meeting after meeting. <laughs> but if you do the second thing, it will be good meetings because you have to meet in harmony. Yeah. Number three that you have to do. Do not change the rules of training. Mm-hmm. This seems bad. Yeah, the rules of training can never improve. Yeah. The fourth thing is to honor the superiors who were ordained before you. Mm. Which is probably good. Could be. Thing number five, do not fall prey to worldly desires. I would screw that up badly. You would, me both. The sixth thing that the Vajika League was or should be doing and that the Sangha should be doing... And you are failing horribly in this. (laughs) Thing number six is to remain devoted to forest hermitage. Sheesh. So go into the forest every now and then and be a hermit. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And number seven is good. Thing number seven is to preserve the personal mindfulness. All right. And in some versions, it then changes the rules of training because there are other things added to this list. Yeah, I, I found like a list of like, there's like 200 and some something. So the rules of training should probably be changed. But now we're into Buddhism again. Okay. Buddha's best two disciples dies just before he does. So he becomes sad and then he is sick of some kind of illness. And they ask him who, who should take over. And he doesn't go Alexander on them and says the strongest. <laughs> but he's like, I cannot promote anyone to be my successor. Hmm. Why does the order of monks expect this of me? If there's anyone who thinks I shall take charge of the order or the order is under my leadership, such, such a person would have to make arrangements about the order. I do not think in such terms. Why should I make arrangements for the order? I'm now old, worn out. I reached the term of life. I'm turning 80. Just as an old cart is made to go by being held together with scraps, so the Tathagata's body is kept going by being banished up. The Tathagata is the way the Buddha refers to himself. Oh, okay. Therefore, you should live as islands unto yourselves, being your own refuge, seeking no other refuge. Those monks who in my time or afterwards lived thus, seeking an island and a refuge in themselves, and in the community nowhere else, these sealess ones are truly my monks and will overcome the darkness of rebirth. End quote from the dying Buddha. Hmm. Uh, people have at this point heard a story about that girl with the milk and the rice pudding. Yeah. So people show up giving the Buddha food all the time. Oh, okay. And he often accepts it, but maybe doesn't eat all of it. Of course, he still wants to be moderate, right? Well, sometimes you see the statue of the Buddha and he's fat, right? So maybe that's part of that tradition. Maybe he ate it all. Yeah, maybe. So Buddha has an uh, attendant called Ananda, who was actually the recipient of that speech I just gave you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Ananda is hanging around Buddha, helping him out. And then a blacksmith, Kunda, shows up. And Kunda wants to offer the Buddha a meal. And Ananda is kind of, well, he's eaten so much already, so maybe he shouldn't eat <laughs> But the Buddha accepts the meal and falls violently ill. Oh. And then Buddha says to Ananda, This meal I just ate 
has nothing to do with my death. And this meal given to me by Kunda has the greatest merit as it was the Buddha's last meal. Mm-hmm. And then he dies. And Ananda is like, what? This guy poisoned him. But he can't do anything about it because the Buddha said that was not the case. Yeah, yeah. The meal had nothing to do with his death. He knew he was going to die and he just wanted to, and so he said he wanted to make sure they didn't blame this guy for poisoning him. And now people for 2,500 years have discussed what was in the meal. (laughs) And the Theravada tradition believes that he was offered pork. Oh no. The Mahayana tradition believes that he was offered mushrooms. Yeah. And this is used as an argument that Buddhists should be vegetarians. Or at least monks and nuns should be it. Mm -hmm. Modern scholars disagree on this topic. On what the Buddha's last meal consisted of. Oh my god. How could you ever know? But the most common suggestions are pig's flesh of some kind. Or mushrooms that pigs liked. Ah. Truffle shows up as well. I see. Something to do with a pig somehow. Because it said before, you cannot, one of the things you're not supposed to do is trade in meat, I remember, so. Yeah, but everyone agrees that the Buddha was correct, the meal didn't kill him. Right. And in some versions, he doesn't die immediately, or he travels a bit, sits down under some trees, and announces that he's about to die. Hmm. Yeah, he should know. I mean, he's so in tune with himself, what tells meditating. And then he asks, do you now understand everything I've taught you? And these, all his followers are honest and says, well, maybe we don't understand everything. And the Buddha replies to this, and these are his last words. Okay, this is my version of his words as I understand them. Okay. All that which has been put together decay. Hmm. Strive for the goal with diligence. Buddha dies. Boom. But before he dies, he goes into meditation. And now he levels up again right right before death. Oh. And this is the pari nirvana. The final nirvana. Oh, right, because when you're alive, you have nirvana, but you still have to finish off this life. And then once you finish that life off, then you have the final nirvana. I don't think it's that simple. Oh. But so he dies. Everybody is standing around. Oh, that was horrible. They honor his body with flowers, music, and scents. And they sit around there for a while until Mahakasapa shows up. He is described as an eminent elder. And he is one of the remaining good disciples. The really good disciples. Yeah, from the beginning. Oh, Maybe not one of the five. I'm not sure about that. Who left when he started eating. Aye, right. He has been around for a lot of time. And he pays his respect. That's what I mean. Yeah, he's been one of the old guys, right? Because he's old like Buddha. And then they decide that, okay, now we're done. The flowers are getting old. We have played all the music. We used up all the scents. And Mahakasapata is here. So we can now cremate the Buddha. 
and uh, the remains, including his bones, because the cremation fire wasn't very hot apparently, are kept as relics and distributed among warriors of the kingdoms like Magada, Shakya and Kulia. Mm-hmm. These relics were placed in monuments or mounds called stupas. Mm-hmm. And this is a common funerary practice at the time. Yeah. But... Um, Remember we had that stupa from Lydia? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But then Ashoka shows up in the 3rd century and exhumes all the stupas. Oh. And makes them into shrines. All right. And in his emperor, nobody dares argue with Ashoka. So. Yeah, no, he's nuts. And there are a lot of legends about the powers of these relics of the Buddha. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Like Indiana Jones stuff. And if a ruler is Buddhist and has one of these relics, it gives him... I can't pronounce the word. (laughs) Legitimacy? Oh, legitimacy. Yeah, good. Sorry. Sorry, English is not my native language. As is not Indian either, or Sanskrit. No, but you do pretty good. But the Sangha remembers what the Buddha said. They said, meet a lot. So they hold a meeting. The first Buddhist council, where they try to collect, recite and memorize the Buddha's teachings. Remember, they don't know how to read and write. Right, right, correct. But apparently this system of reciting and memorizing was so good that the Buddha's teachings comes down to us. Yeah, I mean, I could believe that. I mean, because they did the, the Vedas are all, you know, oral and they're long. Yes. So. It's hard to tell how much they changed, though. The Iliad went oral a long time, right? Right. Yes. Uh, Mahakasapata, that old venerated elder, he's chosen to be the chairman of the council. But uh, for some reason, I have a note here that uh, the first council is disputed by many modern scholars. Hmm. But I think a lot in this story should probably be disputed. I know, I was going to say you're disputing that. (laughs) And that, my friend, is the story of the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama's teachings. And if he was a real person, or not, they sure became important. And today... There are many, many different kinds of Buddhism. Yeah. But that is another story. In order to make this only two episodes, I tried to stay away from Buddhism itself. But as it spreads, it will probably show up in Fano history again. Yeah, for sure. So now I think we should get to the 550s and the rise of Cyrus the Great. Oh my God. Because if the Buddha is a real person, if he's born in 563, he's still a kid. So it will take a long time before we get back to Buddhism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought about the 550s, that Cyrus the Great would be the most important person we have discussed on the podcast. But that is probably Siddhartha Gautama. Probably. Next time, the 550s. Yeah, next time, the 550s. We're gonna get in. There's a lot going on, too. I'm finding some good books and things. That I've been... And we'll go to America. Oh, we are? Oh, good. Yeah, we'll go back to India and talk about Jainism. Okay. We're really getting around the world. Which I have no idea what it is really at this point, but I'll learn. Oh, Jainism. Yeah, Jainism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a little bit about it. I know they like, 
They don't kill anything. I doubt they vocal shifted the A, so it's probably Yainis. Yeah. But uh, we'll we'll fight about that in the 550s. All right, we'll fight. <laughs> no, you're a boxer. Please don't fight me. <laughs> oh, but you're a kickboxer. So. Oh, that is, you, you boxed uh, recently. Oh, okay. <laughs> so 550s. All right. Stay tuned. Sponsor us on Fano History to make sure that we can do this. Please. On Patreon, I mean. Patreon, Fan of History. Good thing. Please, fa- patreon.com slash fan of history. Follow us on uh, Facebook. Yeah, I keep the Facebook page active if we could. So it's uh, look for a fan of history on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram. Yeah. Don't follow me down the street. No, don't follow him all the way to his apartment. And um, yep, my, my girlfriend, Christy, she found you on Instagram. Now she follows you. Oh, cool. There you go. I got another follower. Good. I need those. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for listening Thank to you. all my uh, ramblings about Buddha. No, I'm glad you did it. It's great. I learned a lot. I tried to learn, you know, there are the years I personally, probably the rest of us, we've read about Buddha and things, but I don't know if it's been put together in this historical way for us in a succinct podcast, so it's great. And please don't use this as a source for your schoolwork, listener. Just use it as the background if you're doing schoolwork. It'll help you a little. Yes. All right. Cheers. We'll be off to the 550s. Cheers. 550s, Cyrus the Great. Yeah, man. I've been waiting so long for Cyrus. Yeah, well, he's here. Wow. All right, cheers. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.